Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our messages dating back to late 2020. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on March 20th, 2022 during our Sunday morning service. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. Things don't get fixed until we recognize that they're broken. I just realized I don't have my Bible with me. There it is right there. Scott, would you hand me my Bible? Thank you. Knew I was forgetting something. Things don't get fixed until we admit that they're broken. Things don't clean themselves. Now, I will say this morning, the mirror in the bathroom was all fogged up, and Elijah wanted to get a wipe, and he wanted to clean the mirror. I said, Elijah, you don't have to worry, but that will clean itself. He said, Daddy, things don't clean themselves. (laughs) So then I had to try to explain to him in 30 seconds about condensation and how the mirror wasn't really dirty it was just fogged up and it will be fine in just a few minutes and then he wanted to watch the wonder of the mirror cleaning itself but of course the mirror didn't really clean itself nothing cleans itself we don't fix ourselves one of the mantras of our age is you can't fix me I'm not broken friend we're all broken we're all broken because we're all sinners We have a broken heart, we have a broken mind, and we can't fix ourselves. We need to bring that brokenness to God and trust that by His grace and by His mercy because of His great love for us, that He will fix what is broken. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, we're going to look again where we began last week at this incredible prayer of repentance where David is publicly and passionately repenting of his sins of adultery, murder, deceit and cover up. You'll say, why are you a crazy conspiracy theorist? Friend, there are conspiracies all throughout the Bible. And some of them were committed by some of the otherwise most righteous people. To cover up their sin unsuccessfully. David was one such sinner. He conspired to cover up his sin. He conspired to have one of his most faithful servants killed in battle. Lied and deceived, but God saw it all. And so prayerfully in Psalm 51, David publicly repents. This is a prayer, as we said last week, of repentance, not for salvation, but for restoration. This is the prayer of a repentant child of God. Now, if you're here today or you're listening today and you have never admitted that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, 
you've never admitted that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, the extended offer to you today is to admit that you are a sinner who is broken by your sin, to admit that you cannot fix yourself, you cannot save yourself, but because of God's great love for you and for all of us, He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth, to die on a cross for your sin and my sin in our place, to pay the sin debt that I cannot pay and that you cannot pay. And as evidence that God the Father accepted that payment, on the third day, according to the Scriptures, He rose again. Jesus Christ is alive, literally, physically. The grave is empty. He is victorious over sin, over death, over the grave. And now, because of His great mercy and grace, He extends to you the offer of eternal life. Eternal forgiveness. And He requires of you but one thing, and that is faith. But one thing, and that is to admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and trusting in His forgiveness, in His finished work on the cross. And I would just challenge you today, if that is you, don't wait till the end of the service. You talk to God right now. You admit to God right now in prayer that you're a sinner who wants to be forgiven, that you believe that Jesus died for your sin, you believe He rose again, and you are calling upon Him and accepting His offer of forgiveness. And you don't need to walk an aisle to receive that, although we would invite you after the service to come up here, let us know of the decision that you have made or that you want to make sure that you know that you know that you have eternal life. But let me talk to you for, for the time that we have left to those of you who have made that decision to those of you who are the children of God the sons and daughters of God we still sin we still make mistakes being a Christian is does not mean that we're better than anybody else it doesn't mean that we think that we're perfect if you think you're perfect you need to spend some time in first John chapter one if you think you don't have sin anymore you are deceived John says the truth about that is not in you we all stumble James says in many ways what do we do when we stumble Psalm 51 is the story of true repentance and in it David shows us the marks of true repentance repentance not unto salvation but unto the restoration of a believer's fellowship with the Lord we saw last week true repentance begins with confession I must ask the Lord for mercy. And confession is not just admitting that you've sinned, but it is agreeing with God about your sin. It means that we're not coming to God justifying what we've done. Oh, yes, God, I did that, but here's why I was justified in doing it. Here's what they did to me that justifies what I did to them. No, no, no. Confession is admitting that you did it and agreeing with God that it is sin and that it is wrong. And that it needs to be forgiven. You read Psalm 51, you're not going to find any blame shifting, self-justification, no bargaining with God. God, if you fix this, then I will stop doing that. You fix this, and I'll stop doing that. That's not how God deals with His children. Repentance begins with confession. And repentance is not just about confession, it's also about cleansing. It's also about cleansing. I must believe that the Lord has actually forgiven me. 
It's not I agree with my sin and then I wallow in despair and shame. It is the faith to believe. You say, I, yeah, but I don't, I don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. None of us deserve it. It's not about deserving it. It's because He is our loving Father that He cleanses us. If we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful. He is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is that faithfulness and justice based on? It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The sin is paid for. It's based on the continuing work of our high priest, Jesus Christ in heaven, who makes intercession for us. 1 John chapter 2. True repentance begins with confession. True repentance receives cleansing. Recognizing that when I am sincerely repentant, that God restores fellowship immediately. doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. We'll get to that in just a second. But that I know and believe by faith, apart from my feelings, that God has truly forgiven me. Now, If all we do is confession and cleansing, we're not to true repentance just yet. Because repentance is not just admitting that I did something wrong and agreeing with it. It's not just admitting that we're broken. What good is it to admit that you're broken if you don't want to be fixed. What's the point of wanting to be clean so that you can jump back in the mud and get dirty again and have to start the process all over again? See, we need to admit that we need to be fixed, but then we have to submit to the fixing process. We have to believe that God has cleansed us but then we have to surrender to what He is going to do with us and how He is going to use us now that He has made us clean. Because He doesn't clean us so that, or fix us so that we can break ourselves with our sin all over again. Now, He knows that we will. <laughs> he knows that we're going to sin. The Work of sanctification in our life is the work of the Holy Spirit in making us more and more like Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen overnight. It's not instant like salvation. Justification means that we are made right with God. That happens instantaneously. But the work of sanctification is something that is ongoing throughout our life. The process whereby God, through His Holy Spirit, makes us more and more like Jesus Christ. And so as Christians, we are never in this life sinless, but we must over time sin less and less as we yield more and more control to the Holy Spirit. And so in verses 8 through 19, David gives us two more marks of repentance. Not just admitting we have a problem and then pretending that everything is okay. Not just 
pretending that it's okay that I'm broken. And, and what happens sometimes is we actually, then we celebrate the brokenness. We celebrate the sin. And we think that by continuing to sin, that grace will abound. Isn't God gracious that even though I'm such a wicked sinner and have no intention of really stopping, that God is so magnified by His grace by continuing to let me get away with this sin, but I've confessed it and God's made me clean, so I'm okay, right? Romans chapter 6 says, hey guys, shall we keep on sinning? So that God's grace keeps increasing. And he uses the strongest word that he could find in the Greek language, meganoito, which is translated in the King James, God forbid. Because in 1611, when the translators were saying, man, there's not a word in English that really conveys this. How can we say in English what Paul is saying in Greek? And they said, well, God forbid. God forbid. May it never be underlined, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation exclamation not explanation exclamation point Paul says how shall we who are dead to sin keep on sinning you're dead to sin now God has paid for why do you want to keep wallowing in it why do you want to make that your trophy your sin is not your trophy his grace is the trophy his grace makes us his trophy I want to be a trophy of his grace but that doesn't mean that my sin should be my trophy that I parade around. Now, by the way, let me just say very quickly, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't share your testimony, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you don't tell people your story about how God has saved you, but I am saying that your story shouldn't be, look at how sinful I am, and I'm so excited to, to tell you all about my sin, but I'm going to heaven anyways because, praise Jesus, doesn't matter about my sin. No, God loves you so much that he's going to work with your life to get that sin out of you. Now you're clean, but after cleansing, David says, comes the third thing, and that's correction. Look at verses 8 through 12 with me. David says to God, Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, blot out all mine iniquities, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. I must trust the Lord to heal me. I must trust the Lord to Fix me. Now that's going to be a process. That's going to take some time. The cleansing is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's instantaneous. The Father is waiting to run to his repentant children and embrace you. That's instantaneous. But the correction is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes that takes time, depending on how much is broken and de depending on how 
deep the sin has rooted itself in your heart and in your life. See, when I confess my sin, that's, that's my responsibility. I must believe that God will truly cleanse me and correct me. That's His responsibility. And my part is believing that and yielding to that work. So let me show you four healing truths in these verses that we have read together here, 8 through 12. Four healing truths. Number one. Sometimes our brokenness is a direct result of our sin. And sometimes that brokenness is a direct result of God's discipline of our sin. Sin has consequences. Sometimes we sin and we pay the price for that sin immediately. But sometimes, just like the credit card bill, Bill hasn't shown up yet. So how does God get us to stop sinning? Well, he's not going to force you to stop sinning. You're not a robot. He's going to let you sin. But what he will do is he will bring brokenness into your life as a result of his loving discipline in your life. Sometimes a shepherd would take if there was a if they had a, a particularly obstinate sheep who kept wanting to run away have kept wanting to run away sometimes what the shepherd would do was actually break the leg of the sheep so that they couldn't run away anymore and then the shepherd would carry the sheep with him and nurse that leg until the bone reset and healed but that time being carried by the shepherd attached the sheep to the shepherd so it didn't want to run away anymore. And David says, God, you are the one who has broken my bones. You are the one that has broken me because of my sin. See, David thought he could get away with things because he was the king. He thought he could cover everything up and hide his sin. And he hadn't paid the consequences of his sin yet. The natural consequences. So God brought some brokenness into his heart and into his life. And in his repentance, David recognized where that brokenness had come from. That it was God who brought the brokenness. Sometimes our brokenness is the result of our sin. Sometimes our brokenness is the result of someone else's sin against us. But sometimes our brokenness is the result of of God's loving discipline. It's he, it's he that is breaking us so that we will stop running from Him so that He can draw us close to Him in His discipline. I want you to keep your finger in Psalm 51 and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. This is a passage that we've looked at together before and so for, for some of you, this will just be by way of review this morning. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. As I said, we've, we've looked at these, passage, these verses in this passage together before. But I just want to remind you of God's discipline and the purpose of it. Because God's discipline, while it is painful, is surgical discipline. God does not inflict pain to be vindictive. 
when God brings pain into our lives as His children, it is surgical to fix what is broken. And sometimes surgery causes temporary pain to fix long-term pain. It causes temporary pain, and maybe some scarring is involved as well, but to fix the underlying problem that will get worse if we don't have the surgery. That's how God deals with us. Now listen, Hebrews chapter 12, which is actually quoting Proverbs and then adding some commentary on it. So we're going to look at, at, at uh, the writer of Hebrews commentary here. Look, pick it up, chapter 12, pick it up in verse 5. Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. And now he quotes Solomon, David's son. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are all partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed four ways we must respond to god's discipline number one don't forget it don't forget that god will discipline your sin the writer of hebrews says uh you guys have forgotten this very basic truth you guys are wondering why why am am i going through what i'm going through why am i suffering the way i am isn't god graceful didn't God promise to forgive me my sin? Oh, yes, God does promise to forgive our sins, but there is a price to pay when we sin. Because he loves us, he disciplines us. So don't forget, sin always has consequences. Number two, don't despise the Father's discipline. Don't get mad at God when he disciplines you for your sin. Don't think he's not forgiving you just because he's disciplining you. See, grace removes condemnation, not consequences. We still have to deal with the consequences of our sin so that we learn, so that we grow, because God loves us. If we don't discipline our children, listen, I, I was a social worker. I worked with broken kids who are the product, virtually all of them, the product of no parenting or parents who just don't know how to control them so they just don't do anything, no discipline, undisciplined children, children who received abuse but not discipline. And God does not want that for any of us. 
God doesn't want that for his children. God doesn't just sit back and enable us and say, well, I loved you, so just do what you're going to do. Hurt one another, hurt yourself. No, because God loves us, yes, he forgives us, but he disciplines us. Don't despise that. Number three, don't faint. Don't despair over it. Don't think he doesn't love you. He does love you. The discipline is the evidence that he loves you. Don't think he doesn't love you. Don't despise it, but don't despair over it either. So what do we do? We endure it. We embrace it. And we trust the Father, as Hebrews says, to heal what he has broken. Look again in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet. Discipline your kid when they're little. And they erupt in a shower of tears. And you lovingly wipe the snot from their nose and the tears from their cheeks. And you stand them up and you give them a hug. Lift up the hands. Chin up. Chin up. Lift up the feeble knees. Get back on your feet. I'm right here. I'm going to help you get back on your feet, God says. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. Let me heal you, God says. Let me heal you. Don't reject my healing. Don't hate it. Don't forget about it and, and stay lame. Let me bring that healing. You're my sheep. I broke the leg for a purpose so that you wouldn't run away from me. Don't try to crawl away from me while I'm trying to heal what has been broken to restore you to fellowship. Go back with me to Psalm 51. Brokenness as a result of sin might be God's loving discipline. You say, how do I know? Well, ask him. He'll tell you. The Holy Spirit will let you know. The Holy Spirit's letting some of you know right now. This is my discipline. It's because I love you. Number two, forgiveness is an act of God's grace, not my works. This isn't something that we earn. God's not wanting you to correct yourself so that you can earn what he's already given to you. Uh -uh. Look again at verse 9. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. David says, I can't fix myself, God. You're going to have to fix me. You're going to have to deal with this problem. Listen, the healing truth is that he will. He will. And it's not based on your works. It's not based on, I'm going to give a little more this week so I can make up for what I did. No, no, no. We do make things right as Zacchaeus said, hey, here's what I did wrong. I want to I do right by what I did wrong. But we don't do that to get forgiveness. We do that because of forgiveness. Don't put the cart before the horse. You're not going to get very far if you do that. Forgiveness is an act of grace. Number three, God's forgiveness. Now you're talking about a healing truth. God's forgiveness will purify my heart and empower my spirit. 
God's forgiveness, when I understand that God is correcting me, that's going to change and purify my heart. It's going to create that new heart inside of me and empower my spirit by His Spirit. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. I love what Titus says. I know you just probably turned back from Hebrews to Psalm. I'm going to have you go back to Titus, which is almost right in front of Hebrews. Titus Philemon Hebrews. I think there's some application here for me, maybe for you as well, as I think about the wickedness governing our nation today. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to do every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Verse 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. See, just because somebody is hateful and deceived and is full of malice doesn't mean you should stop praying for them. Boy, that's a little convicting for me. Um, stepping on my, t- I should have worn my uh, steel toe boots today. Paul says, uh, that's us without Jesus. Think you're so much smarter than they are? You think you're so much better than they are? Titus, that's us without Jesus. We were that way. We were foolish. We were disobedient, deceived. We were driven by our lusts and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, hateful and hitting one another. But God, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness. We didn't earn this, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's the work of the blood, the work of Jesus Christ, and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit inside of us, which He has shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God's forgiveness will purify my heart and empower my spirit. In verse number 11 and 12 of Psalm 51, The fourth healing truth here. When I trust him to correct me, to heal me, to fix me, the Lord will restore an awareness of his presence and the joy of my salvation. You need some more joy today? You need some more of the joy of your salvation? That's a very specific kind of joy. That's a joy that shouldn't go away. Now, the trials of life will squeeze other joys outside of us or squeeze them from the inside out. The trials of life will rob the other joys of our life, but the joy that should never leave us is the joy of our salvation. Because that, that's the hope that, as I shared that old hymn with our Sunday morning Bible study today, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see him, one look, 
at his dear face. All sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see him. When we're with Jesus, 1 John chapter 3, we'll be like him. We'll see him as he is. And if we live that way and believe that way, that hope, John says, will purify our hearts today. The joy of our salvation, knowing that we have the presence of God inside of us. Now, this is a sermon, uh, an, an entire sermon for another time when verse 11 says, cast me not away from thy presence, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit came to permanently indwell God's children, the Holy Spirit would come upon God's servants to anoint them for ministry and for service. But it wasn't a permanent indwelling. The, the New Testament is very clear that the Old Testament believers did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them the same way that we have Him indwelling us today. It's an incredible gift. Only possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. Now we are the body of Christ. Christ has come. He's died. He's rose again. He gave birth to the church. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, corporately and individually. But back in the Old Covenant, it wasn't like that. And what David is saying, though, is I want to live in the awareness of your presence. That comes by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. We know that the Holy Spirit is with him when he's writing this because we have it here. The Holy Spirit is inspiring him and anointing him. We don't know how long the Holy Spirit might have left him while he was living in sin. And the Holy Spirit has come back upon him to anoint him, to give us Scripture, to inspire Scripture, that we might have these truths. And David has been without the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit has come back upon him. And he says, God, don't take this from me again. This awareness of your presence. This awareness. Because listen, one of the first aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Love, joy, peace. I know three things of all of us. All of us. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you do, who you are. All of us want our life to have love, joy, and peace. And for the children of God, that's available to all of us through the Holy Spirit. But we have to yield to Him. Stop grieving Him. Stop quenching Him. And as we do that, in accepting God's correction into our life, God will restore the awareness of His presence with us, in us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. We just lose sight of Him. He never loses sight of us. And the joy of our salvation. True repentance begins with confession. It receives God's cleansing and it accepts and trusts God's correction will come, that God will heal me. I have to trust that. I have to believe that. Number four, commitment. Commitment. Look at verses 13 through 19. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from my blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou desirest not in, thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. 
do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then shalt they offer bullocks upon thine altar. I must respond to the Lord's forgiveness with a changed life. It's not the change that earns the forgiveness. But if the forgiveness is real, and if the repentance is real, the results should be real too. There should be change. When God brings healing, again, that's His responsibility. I must respond with renewed commitment to serve Him, to serve others, to praise the Lord. That's my responsibility. Let me very quickly give you some pledges of the penitent. Some pledges of the penitent. Maybe you've had some things that you have put on the altar of your heart today that you're, you want the Lord to be back on the throne of your life. Here are some commitments that you need to make. If that is sincere, if you are truly repentant of your sin, number one, this is a pledge that we all need to make. I will speak God's hard but healing truths to others who are struggling with sin. I will speak God's truth. Hard truths, but healing truths to others who are struggling with sin. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors thy ways. This is not, you get to be preachy at everybody else. This is, hey, here's what I've been struggling with. Here's what God has brought me out of. Here's how I recovered from this. Here's how I've gotten victory over this in my life. Here's what God will do for you. Here's what God can do and will do because he's promised to. And I'm a testimony to that. That's what David's saying here. That's what we need to do. We need to be willing to help others who are struggling with sin. Number two, I will reach out to the lost. I will reach out to the lost. Sinners shall be converted unto thee. Peter says it this way. I won't have you turn back there to 1 Peter again. But Peter, Peter turns, uh, turns it this way. He says, listen, you're a chosen generation. You're a ro royal priesthood. We're, we're God's peculiar people. Some of us more peculiar than others. But we're, God, we're God's special people, Peter says. And we are to show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. So your testimony, here's where you get to share your testimony. Here's how God changed me. Here's how great God is, and here's how he saved me. That's all evangelism should come down to. You're not reading a script. You're not uh, trying to make people as righteous as you are, because none of us ain't none of us righteous. No, not one. It is, here's how great God is. Here's how he saved me. Here's how he changed me. Here's how patient and faithful he's been to me as I've struggled. Now, that, a lot of times we don't want to do that because we don't want that transparency we don't want people to know what we've struggled with. We don't want people to know what we've overcome. Are we really repentant then? Have we really repented of it if we want to keep it so hidden up that we can't help anybody else with what we think we've gotten victory over? I will reach out to the lost. Verse 14, I will sing of the Lord's righteousness and salvation. Listen, a, a truly repentant person is going to sing it. It's gonna, you're going to sing it. You may not have, you may make a joyful noise. Let's just put it that way. But you will make that noise joyfully for the Lord because of what he has done in your heart. We talked about praise and worship not long ago. 
I will sing of the Lord's righteousness and salvation. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guilt, O God, thou God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Verse 15, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. I will, number four, I will give the Lord praise. Somebody who never praises God is still worshiping themselves. Somebody who's always talking about themselves. Here's what I did. Here's what I did. Here's what I did. Here's, here's what I've done for God. Here's what I've done for God. Here's what I'm, who are you praising? Are you really repentant? Has God really transformed you? Has God really forgiven you? Or do you think you've earned your status because of all the things you've done for God? So, a truly penitent person will pledge to praise. Praise God, not yourself. Number five, verses 16 and 17 again. Don't try to pay God off. Don't try to bargain with God. I'll keep this sin in my life, God, but I'll give you more over here. I'll keep this area of my life, God. I want this sin. This is my pet sin. And God, you can't touch my pet sin, but I'll give you more over here. No, no, no. Thou desirest not sacrifice, else thou, I would give it. Thou desirest not in burnt offerings. You don't want to pay off, God. What you want is a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. And so number five, the pledge of the penitent. God, I'm going to give you my brokenness. I'm going to give you a broken spirit. You fix it. <laughs> you fix me, God. And I'm going to give you my repentant heart. And I know you're going to give me a clean one and, and you're going to change it. Number six. I struggle. I used to struggle with verse 18 because I felt like verses 18 and 19 were just kind of tacked on. In my in my foolishness. Here's what David's saying. When we're truly repentant. I'll intercede for others. If I truly have experienced God's forgiveness in my life and I'm truly repentant, one of the marks of that is we intercede for others. We just read about it in Titus chapter 3. Paul says, you're not going to pray for them because of their evil. You're not going to pray for them because they're deceitful. Don't you know that's who you were before Jesus? Don't you know God wants you to pray as someone who's been saved out of that with the intention that you're praying for their transformation as well. And this especially applies to those we represent. Kids, grandkids, spouse, church, where we work, our community, our country. I will especially pray for those I represent or in David's case and, and many times in our case, those affected by our sin. Are you truly repentant? Are you praying for the people that you hurt? You pray for the people that you hurt with your sin? I didn't hurt anybody, just myself. You're deceiving yourself. You're not there yet. Keep working at it. Keep, keep praying about it. The Holy Spirit will show you some people that you have been hurt by your sin. Pray for them. Intercede for them. Where necessary, confess to them. And ask for their forgiveness. And then lastly, I will offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Verse 19. And as we've said before, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church is the New Testament temple. This is where we offer sacrifices to God. Not sacrifices of, of lambs and, and bulls and goats and grain offerings. Not, not sacrifices like that. The sacrifices of praise, the sacrifices of service. 
Hebrews 13 and Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The sacrifice of ourself. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, based on how God has been so merciful to you, Paul says, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable service. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is how we worship God. This is the sacrifice he wants. The sacrifice of a changed life. We don't change our lives so he forgives us. We change our life because he has forgiven us. Would you stand as we close in prayer? Father, as we come to the time of invitation, God, all of us are unworthy. All of us have sin that we struggle with every day. We all stumble in many ways. So, God, we thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness and your grace. God, teach us the marks of true repentance. But, God, if there's somebody here, there's an issue, God, that they need to bring to this altar or they need to talk with somebody, pray with somebody, I pray, God, your spirit would move even now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.